There we go. Which, by the way, uh, is is honestly probably the first Chiefs game that I have watched that I watched from beginning to end in a long time because you know I, I just I fall asleep or something you know um, so I'm sitting there watching of course if you watch the game you know how pathetic it was in that first quarter and so uh, they our daughter Chelsea and him and our two Lucy Luciana and Nico came down and anyway so uh, he uh, you know he was having a good time there you know that first quarter in fact he walked into the living room that one time go Chiefs when it was like 21 to nothing go Chiefs or no how about them Chiefs you know and and of course I just had to sit there and take it you know well, then, you know, end of the third quarter, how about them Chiefs, right? So, <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, yeah, we're excited to uh, hopefully uh, experience something that hasn't been experienced since, was it 69 or 70 uh, last time they were, yeah, in the Super Bowl. So, anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, we are uh, in this series called Holy Habits, uh, and uh we're 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 doing this series, uh, and and please, it's important for you to understand this because uh, now think about this. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Okay, think about that statement. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally, whether spiritually, financially, physically, relationally. And really, we need to look no further than our Lord, who kind of set the example for us, who. In three and a half years, and think about it, he knew how much time he had. He was He's omniscient, you know. He knew how much time he had. He knew he only had three and a half years. And yet still, he took time out of his schedule to get alone with the Father. And think about that. Even knowing what he was facing and what he had to do, he took time to get alone with the Father. Stephen, Sean, excuse me, Sean Covey says, our habits will make or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. All right? You know, the timing of this series is not a coincidence, obviously. You know, we're ushering in a new year, which causes people to think about making changes in their lives. How many of you made resolutions? Well, be honest. How many of you made some resolutions? How, how many of you have broken already? Yeah? Okay. Yeah? That's what they're for, right? Any, anyone can make resolutions. The problem is keeping them. Keeping them. That's, that's the problem, right? And, you know, it, it's amazing that, uh, 92% of resolutions are never kept. That's a fact. 92% of resolutions are never kept, right? Why? Why is that? Well, amazingly, the Apostle Paul told us why 2,000 years ago. Romans chapter 7. He said, and, and this is, this is really interesting because he's brutally honest of his own assessment of himself. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Thank God for verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize that much of what you do isn't a result of conscious choices, but rather daily habits? Let me say that again. Much of what you do isn't a result of conscious choices, but a result of daily habits. See, winners and losers have the same goals. Right? Winners and losers have the same goals. 
No one plans to wreck their finances and live paycheck to paycheck. No one plans, no one sets out to do that. Right? No one sets out to become overweight and end up a diabetic or in poor health. No one sets out to become an addict and end up with substance abuse problems, life controlling issues. No one sets out to get divorced, lose their marriage and their family. No one sets out to raise prodigal children who turn their back on God when they're older. We rarely end up at the wrong place because of one, and you know this, because of one bad choice. It's a series of bad choices. So that's why we're doing this series, to help us dial in some healthy habits, habits that will not only benefit us and our family, but also be honoring of God. Here's how James put it, James 1.21. So get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts, which is able to save you. So that's my prayer this morning, that you will indeed submit to God and receive, accept the word that's going to go forth as we continue through this series. And right here would be a good place to make a plug for our growth groups that will be starting next month. Because one of the best motivations to learn a healthy habit it's not just consistency, but also companionship. You know that, right? If you're going to start working out, you want to get someone to, to you know, start doing it with you so they can hold you accountable, right? And then two weeks in, you wish you hadn't done that because they're holding you accountable, right? Right? Think about this. Someone's chance of becoming obese increases by 57% if they have a friend who's obese. So that's my excuse. I was hanging around with fat people. Right. <laughs> now here, but but here, here here's the other side of that. If one of your friends loses weight, your chance of losing weight just increased by thirty three percent. Think about these things. This is legit. All right. Here's how Solomon put it: the wisest man who ever lived. Here's how he put this: walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. That's Proverbs 13, 20. So I say that to say, look, we're going to be starting these growth groups. Those of you that were a part of them last fall, you know how great they were, how good they were. So we're going to be starting those up again. And here in a couple of weeks, uh, Kyle's actually going to be sharing a message that's going to be talking a little bit more about that. And if you have any other questions, you can talk to me or talk to Kyle or talk to my wife. But we will be starting the growth groups here in a few weeks. So with all that as an introduction, all right? Turn with me in your Bibles or open up your Bible app to the book of Malachi chapter 3. Having looked at the healthy habit of prayer two weeks ago, having looked at the healthy habit of Bible reading last week, and by the way, my wife said, make sure you say this this morning. Uh, John 21, on the Version Bible app, there is the uh, 21 days in John. Excellent. No matter where you're at spiritually, whether you're just getting started, whether you got saved yesterday, or you've been saved for 50 years, that 21 days of reading in John is excellent, and it will minister to you, okay? So just that's a little plug there for that. So two weeks ago, we talked about the healthy habit of prayer. Uh, last week, we talked about the healthy habit of Bible reading. This week, we're going to look at what is, for most Christians, probably the most challenging of all healthy habits, and that's tithing and giving. And if you grew up in the church you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know that this is the verse that probably typically is going to be used when you talk about tithing and giving, right? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? 
yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the fields and shall not uh, fail to bear, uh, to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, you know, for the longest time, uh, I had always understood this verse to mean that if I don't tithe or give an offerings, I'm robbing God of the resources that he needs to, to advance his kingdom, Okay. And maybe that's how many of you had interpreted that. If we don't tithe or give it an offering, uh, then, then God's not going to be able to accomplish what he wants to do on this earth. Right? Um, and I, as I was studying this verse, this passage, you know, I thought, because there was a part of me that always that kind of wrestled with that because, you know, does God really need our money? Does he need our finances? You know, how do you reconcile that, right? So, the more I thought about it, I thought, well, then what are we robbing God of then? And then I got to thinking, you know, he talks about if we'll do this, that he'll bless us. And so then it dawned on me. I think that's what we're robbing God of. Not of the money he needs to build his kingdom, but of the opportunity to bless us. I think that's what we're robbing God of, the opportunity. He wants to bless us, but we have tied his hands. Okay? And think about, again, God doesn't need our money. Right? The psalmist said once that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you priced beef lately? He could just go sell a couple cows, you know, and take care of this, build a church, whatever. He doesn't need our money. And, and, and I, and I got to thinking the audacity, right? The audacity to think we could actually rob God anyway. Really? God doesn't need our money. Folks, he doesn't need our money. So what are we robbing him of? I think we're robbing him of the opportunity to bless us. I believe that when we don't tithe and we don't give, what we're doing is robbing God of that opportunity that he wants to bless us, but he can't because we've tied his hands. All right? See, and this is what God wants us to understand. We're the ones that have control over this. Yes, he's God, but you know what? He's given us the freedom to choose. We can make choices. So in that regard, that's how we're robbing him. We've basically tied his hands, right? It, it's not that he won't. He can't. Because this is how his economy is set. This is how he set it up. And he's not going to change it. Right? We decide if God will open up the heaven, uh, windows in heaven and pour those blessings upon We decide if God will rebuke the devourer from our resources. Which, by the way, what does that mean? He, I will rebuke the devourer. Right? Well, remember, when Malachi wrote this, it was during a time when agriculture was kind of the foundation of the economy, and that's why he talks about destroying the fruits of our soil and our, our vine not bearing fruit. In contemporary terms, if Malachi were writing this today, and this is what C.M. Moore, the, the old evangelist from years ago, he said, this is how he put it, he said, you need to tie so that the back end of your pickup won't fall off when you're driving down the road. In other words, and, and I kind of learned this over the years, um, by, by putting God first, and, and I thought that was interesting that Kyle said, you know, we give him our first, and he mentioned, you know, Sunday being the first day of the week. Um, but I, I think that when we put God first, he has a way of, of allowing us to get more out of 90% of our income with his blessing 
than 100% without his blessing. And I, I've seen that in, in, in my life. Have you seen the pickups? Have you seen the pickups I've driven over the years since I've... No, I'm, I'm being serious. I, I'm surprised some of those... I mean, you know, the one I have now, I mean, it's got 230,000 miles on it. I really believe, I honestly believe this, that God takes care of my pickups. Keeps them running. I, I honestly believe that God will help me get 80,000 miles out of 60,000 mile tires. I believe that. See, these are things that we, we don't really think about, but you know, once you start doing this, and we'll talk a little bit, because this is hard, I know, we're going to talk about this. But I, I honestly believe that that's kind of how God operates. He helps us get more out of 90% with His blessing rather than 100% without His blessing, right? Um, will man rob God of opportunities to bless you? Yet you are robbing me of opportunities to bless you. In other words, the purpose of tithing and giving offerings isn't so God will have the resources to finance the expansion of his kingdom. But think about this. If he could use birds, ravens, to feed the prophet Elijah, that story in the Old Testament, if he could rain manna from heaven to feed the Israelites in the wilderness, right? If he could provide water from a rock, I think funding his kingdom's not not big sweat. He's, I mean, he's not going to sweat over that. I think he's fully able to do that. The reason God came up with this program of tithing and giving wasn't for his benefit. It's for our benefit. It is for our benefit, not his. But here's what we need to understand. Even though he gives us the choice to decide whether or not we want to manage our finances according to his plan or according to our plan, right? Just like there are benefits to following his plan, so are there consequences to not following his plan. And that's what he wants us to understand. It's not because he's mad at us because we're not giving him money. He doesn't need our money. What we're robbing him of is an opportunity to bless us. Verses 9 and 10. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, so that I can bless you. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out down for you blessing, a blessing till there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer. Now look carefully at these two next two words. I will rebuke the devourer for you. See that? I'll rebuke the devourer for you. See, this tells me that when we refuse to, when we refuse to obey God in our tithing and giving, it's not that he's hurt or mad. This isn't God saying you need to start tithing so I can, you know, get some more gold to finish paving these streets of gold in heaven. Really? What? No, he's saying he'll rebuke the devourer for our sake. It's that he can't bless us more so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine. Vine would be the equivalent of your business, your job, your source of income. In the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, there's been some debate over the years about the meaning of the word storehouse. What's that mean? Most Bible scholars and teachers will tell you that the equivalent of the storehouse today would be the local church. Here's why. Malachi lived during a time in history when the economy, again, was agriculturally driven. So instead of banks, they had storehouses. In the context of what Malachi is saying, the storehouse he's referring to is the storehouse that was used to store people's tithes and offerings to God. Thus the statement, you are robbing God. Because what was brought to the storehouse belonged to God. Back in the uh, early 80s, uh, Sue and I worked as youth pastors, served as youth pastors at a church in Oklahoma. Some of you know that. I've kind of referenced, made some stories, shared some illustrations from that 
two and a half years that we were there before, but we made, we started making $300 a week. Made $300 a week and was glad to get it. Uh, I mean, cause, you know, like, I just, I, I can't, I can't believe I'm getting, I, we were here before that, you know, working part time. Uh, we were youth pastors here at this church. We lived in what used to be the parsonage. It's not there anymore, but that house just south of the church was the parsonage. And we lived there and we were grateful for that. We were here for a year and I did work over in Lawrence. So I was bivocational because the church was small and, and really couldn't afford to, you know, pay us anything. But I, I was thankful. This opportunity in Oklahoma came up full time. And I, I remember going down there $300 a week. Honey, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. All right. Now, 40 years later, I'm thinking, you can't pay me enough to do this. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. So, but no, I was making $300 a week. Okay. So every week we put $30 in the offering, right? 10%. That was our tithe, right? A few months after we began working at the church, pastor preached a message on tithing and giving, asked the congregation to prayerfully consider giving an offering over and above their tithe each week. The purpose was uh, for some uh, upgrades and remodeling in the nursery to accommodate uh, some of the babies, young families that were attending the church. And he used this passage that we're looking at this morning in Malachi. As soon as he was talking about this, I kind of felt like the Lord said, you know, um, I want you to give an extra $20 a week. And uh, so I think we talked about it, and, and, and we did. Uh, we started giving $50. Our tithe was 30, but we gave over to, we, you know, we felt like God had told us to do that. You know, that was the message, so we wanted to be obedient, and both of us were in agreement, so we were giving $50 a week, all right, in the offering, okay? Um, fast forward a couple months. Our 1969 Plymouth Fury died on us. And I don't mean the engine died, I mean it died. The whole thing died, right? The whole car died. So here we are in a situation where, um, we got to go out and shop for a car. After, after telling God that we're going to give $20 more a week to him, you know, in the offering, right? So, um, okay, I um, wasn't real happy with God at that point. Uh, in fact, uh, as soon as I found out that our car was toast, uh, that it would cost more to fix than what it was worth, uh, I sort of let God have it. You know, you know, one of those pity parties. You know, oh, gee, gee, thanks, God. Thanks a lot, you know. Uh, I, I just agree. We agree to start giving you $20 more over and above our tithe, and then you let our car die on us. So now we got to go out and buy a car, right? So um, those windows were opening up, but those weren't blessings pouring out. That's kind of how I felt. I felt like God had betrayed me, you know. And I hate shopping for cars anyway, because on my income, I'm not going to get a new car. Never have had a new car. Right? Can't afford a new car. So you're kind of rolling the dice when you're when you're buying. Anytime you buy, you're kind of rolling the dice. You know, you don't know what you're going to get there. I mean, you can do a little research, but anyway. So what did I do? All right. Well, we went and drove a couple of cars. In fact. This one, it was a Buick Regal. I thought it was kind of sporty. I thought it looked like a youth pastor's car, kind of sporty looking, had a turbocharger on it, you know. So we take it for a test drive. We even drove, drove over by the pastor's house, you know. Yeah, we're just taking this for a test drive, trying to figure out, you know, what, what God has for us here, you know. And so anyway, um, that next Sunday, I don't know if it was the next Sunday, but within a Sunday or two after that, uh, Sunday evening after church, um, 
pastor says, hey, he says, uh, I need to see you in my office. <laughs> you know, okay. Start thinking, what did I do? You know, what did I do? And so, uh, you know, we kind of, I continued to talk to some, you know, kids, people in the youth group, and then made my way over to the pastor's office, which is in a little separate building next to the sanctuary. And so I walk in his office and he closed the door. And then, then I was really concerned, you know. Uh, so he said, um, he said, hey, he said, are you and Sue still looking for a car? I said, yeah. I said, you know, we, we drove that one, but we're just not really sure yet. And, uh, he, uh, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a set of keys, and he said, uh, here, God told me to give you mine. This was in 82, 81. It was a 1981 Olds Cutlass Supreme, Brome. To this day, that is the newest car we have ever owned. To this day. Just gave it to me. Just gave it to me. All right? And you'll never be able to convince me that the newest car we have ever owned was given to us because we trusted God. We trusted God. We stepped out in faith. We were already tithing, but we made that decision to go ahead and give over and above the 20, that extra 20 a week. All right? And God did indeed bless us. God even said, it says, test him. Then he says, test me and see if I won't make good on this, on this promise. To not just take care of us, but to bless us beyond what we could imagine. I, I would have been happy with that regal, that 78 regal. I would have been happy with that. But God said, no, you've been obedient. I'm going to bless you with a new car. That was probably one of the most powerful lessons that I've ever learned when it comes to giving. And look, I, hey, people, I've been doing this a long time, okay? A long time. Probably 95 to 98% of the people that I've talked with on this, they can't afford the time. Very few people say, oh yeah, I can afford to do that. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. 95 to 98% of the people that I've talked with about this, they'll put it on paper. Here it is, Pastor. Here it is. It doesn't add up. I know. I, I don't know how it works. I just know that God said to do it. At some point, you have to step out and trust Him. And with very few exceptions, these people if they were to begin tithing, giving 10% of their income, the bottom line would have been in red. And I get that. I, I understand that. Right? I know what this looks like on your side. I really do. I really do. But all I can say is, if you would do what God asked you to do, which is test Him and begin tithing, my experience and many of your experiences as well, are that God will indeed not just take care of you, but open up the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings. Okay, having said that, I want to mention three opportunities for receiving blessings from God that the Bible talks about. The first one's tithing. 
I believe that when we tithe, we create an opportunity for God to bless us. Joshua 6, 18 and 19. But you keep, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. I'll come, we'll come back and talk about this. Some translations say the accursed things. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy, which is set apart to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, what that's talking about there, there's a, the children of Israel just come into Jericho. In fact, we, we, the second song we sang, talking about the walls. I thought by now those walls would have come down. That is the very first city that the children of Israel encountered after taking and going into the promised land, the land of uh, crossing the Jordan, going into Canaan. And we all know the story about how they marched one time around, uh, for seven days, marched one time around, and then on the, the seventh day, marched seven times around, and then shouted and the walls came down, right? Now, the instructions were, when you go in and God says, when I give you the victory, I want you to get all the silver and gold and bring it to the treasury, but it belongs to the Lord. Well, there was one family that didn't. Achan was his name. And it's a fascinating story. I actually preached on it quite a few years ago. Maybe I'll preach it again sometime before too long. But uh, Achan and his family, they kept some of that for themselves. And, and it's really interesting how it played out because the Lord made that known to, to Joshua. And so he starts, he calls everyone out and he says, all right, there's sin in the camp. Have you heard that? Have you heard that phrase before? That's where that came from. There's sin in the camp and no one fessed up. And so what they did, and I don't know how all this works, but they, they say casted lots. It's, it's an Old Testament thing. And little by little, it was weeded out who hadn't done it. Until five, and you hit, you know, and here's Aiken standing there and his family. And at some point, he's got to be thinking, oh, this is just a coincidence. This is just a coincidence. But little by little, they would cast lots, cast lots, cast lots. One by one, more, more, more families were, okay, it wasn't you, it wasn't one, wasn't you. Till the last family there was Aiken and his family. And they finally said, fess up. And he did. But you know what? God gave them that tremendous victory. You know, the next time, the, the second city that they went to destroy, as they were trying to take possession of the promised land, they were soundly defeated. The children of Israel were defeated soundly. Why? Because they robbed from God after that first victory. All right? Now, I'm not saying that God's going to do the same thing to you necessarily, but I think it's very clear that uh, when we don't do what God asks us, which is tithe, it's not my word. He says, you're robbing, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. Again, not of the money, but of that opportunity to bless you. Right? And we never get away from that principle. It Look, it doesn't take a lot of faith to give the last percent of your income, does it? It doesn't take a lot of faith to give the last percentage. The faith comes giving that first 10% off the top. But you know, that's how God set it up. You never get away from that principle of faith. Never. Paul said in Romans, without what? It is impossible to please God. Without what? Faith. Without faith, it is impossible. And God has it built into his economy and his system that we need to learn to walk by faith. We know that. And we probably don't have a whole lot of problem in so many areas. But when it comes to our money, see, money is a different category. 
because people are funny about money. Right? Think about this, though. God actually gave us the example in sending His Son Jesus to die for us because you know what? There was no guarantee that people would accept Him. In fact, many don't. Many do reject Him. Right? But there was no guarantee when God said, you know what, I'm going to send my son to die for you. There was no guarantee that people, okay, oh yeah, all right, well then we'll, we'll receive him, we'll accept him. No. That was even an act of faith on God's part to send Jesus, when you think about it. The more you read and study about the tithe, the more you see this idea of first fruits or giving off the top. In other words, every time we get paid, every time we have the opportunity for God to bless us, we should do that. Why? Because that's what he said to do. And when we do, he'll show us how we can get more out of 90% of our income with his blessing than living off 100% of our income without his blessing. Because here's the deal, and this might sound harsh, but it's in the Bible, so if you want to push back, that's fine. Just know you're not pushing back against me, you're pushing back against God. You need to understand that it's consecrated if it's brought to the house of the Lord but it's cursed if it stays in your house. So tithing is an opportunity for God to bless us. The second way we can be blessed is by God is through offerings. Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions or offerings. Some translations say offerings. All right, we've already established the fact that the tithe, the first fruits of our income belongs to the Lord. God made that clear in Leviticus chapter 27, Leviticus 27:30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So it's clear that when we hold back our tithe, we're robbing God. But how do we rob God by holding back offerings? I mean, it states specifically that the tithe belongs to God, but it doesn't say that about the offerings. So how are we robbing God when we don't give any offerings, when we don't give over and above our tithe? Well, again, the only way this makes sense the only way we could be robbing God by not giving an offerings is by not giving him the opportunity to bless us when we give over and above our tithe. So one way we can be blessed by God is when we learn to trust him or test him is the word he used. Test him by giving 10% of our income to him. Another way is when we give in a special offering or offerings anytime we give over and above our tithe. Okay? And then the third way that we can be blessed by God is through sacrificial offerings. And there are numerous occasions in the Bible where a sacrificial offering is mentioned. And, and this is a, this is kind of in a little bit different category. It's like when you give and it just like really hurts to give. It's like, you know, say, well, it hurts to tithe. No, no, no. This, this is even, this is even a greater step of faith. And we, we see examples of this in the Bible. One time David gave a sacrificial offering to help build the temple. Uh, and uh, by today's standards and values, what David set aside in a special offering to help build the temple would equate to over, are you ready? $20 billion. $20 billion. And that's a lot of money. I don't care, even if you're a king, that's a lot of money, right? Under the Old Testament law, the people were required to offer a bull for a sin offering each day. But in 1 Chronicles 29, we're told that Solomon offered not one, now watch this, not one, not two, not even three. Solomon offered 1,000 bulls. For a sacrifice. 
Shortly before Jesus was crucified, he's visiting the house of Simon the leper. While he's there, a woman came up and poured some very expensive perfume over his feet. Some of you heard that story, right? The Bible says uh, that that perfume was worth a year's wage at that time. Right? Folks, that's a sacrificial offering. That's a sacrificial offering. But probably my favorite story of a sacrificial offering is found in Mark chapter 12, and I want us to read this. Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury. Jesus is in the temple one day. Sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how. Huge word. Jesus is watching how the people were putting money in the treasury. He wasn't observing how much. He was observing how they were putting money into the treasury. Okay? See, this shows us that Jesus is more concerned with our attitude. You see that? He's more concerned with our attitude than how much we're giving. Okay? And many rich people were putting in large sums, which they should. We give according to our ability, and rich people should obviously give more than poor. See, that's the beauty of God's plan. It's a sliding scale, folks. He requires the same of all of us. 10%. Right? And many rich people were putting in large sums, which they should. And then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. Two small copper Jewish coins, which amounted to one Roman, a penny, the equivalent of a penny in our culture today. Okay? Calling his disciples to him. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those other fat cats, movers and shakers, heavy hitters, right? She put in more than all of those other contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Folks, that is a sacrificial offering. That's a sacrificial offering. Earlier I mentioned how Sue and I took that step of faith, tested God by giving an offering over and above our tithe, that extra $20, right? And it's interesting because the timing of that, you know, if, if, if our car would have broke down before we started that extra offering, I don't think I would have given it. I don't think I would have been obedient. I really don't. Because I would have said, God, you know, we can't afford it. We cannot afford that. So I told you how we gave $20 more over and above. Here's what I didn't tell you. Not long after that, there was a drop in church income, and the pastor and I both took a pay cut. I dropped from 300 to 275. This is after, this is after we had already agreed to give that extra $20. And again, there I am. Getting cynical with God. Oh, the windows are open, but that ain't blessings coming down. I remember telling God, again, oh, this is great, God, this is great. 
And I felt so, <laughs> I felt so ashamed after walking out of that office, the pastor's office with those keys to that brand new car. I share that for a couple of reasons. First, because I want you to understand that even though God did say to test him, he didn't say when he would pour out those blessings, you know. And looking back, I, I honestly can't remember the time frame for how long it was, you know, when, when we, between when the pay cut and got the car and all that. Um, but here's what I know. I know God came through when we needed him to. Someone said, you know, God's never late, but man, sometimes he don't seem to be in a hurry. Right? Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Well, I know he's never late, but man, I wish he'd kind of hurry up. You know? The second reason I share that is because over the years, as we've learned to walk in obedience to this holy habit of tithing and giving, sacrificial giving, God truly has blessed us in ways that, that far surpass any dollar amount. Because I consider it a blessing that all of our kids are serving God. I think that's a blessing. I consider it a blessing to have some of our family here helping us. I, I think that's a blessing. And you'll never convince me that that's not a blessing from God. Yes, we tested God and began tithing and giving an offering over and above. And he blessed us with the car once, yeah. But here's what you need to know. Sometimes those blessings that God pours out far surpass any dollar amount. You know, some churches do this 30-day guarantee. We are talking about this last night. I told Sue, I said, you know, the church doesn't have the money because Mike would have the apoplexy. He'd go into the AFib again if I said that from the... So last night I told Sue, I said, maybe we could do that personally. <laughs> she said, what if someone took us up on it? 30-day guarantee. You start tithing, testing God, and after 30 days, if your life's not better, you didn't, then, you know, we'll give you your money back. But you know... I'm not the one that needs, I'm not the one that needs to make good on this. God, God's the one that said, test me. And you know why he said, you, you think of all the things that God could have said, test me on. Because in the New Testament, don't tempt the Lord thy God, right? But yet one area, one area, he says, test me and see. Why? He's a realist. He knows how hard this is. He knows how hard this is. And it is for most people, for most Christians, for most Jesus followers, it is far and away the biggest step of faith you'll ever take. But you know, I'm telling you, if you'll do it, it will change your life. And you will be blessed, but but not just, you know, with things and money, which I believe he'll do because he said he would. But I mean just your life in general. You'll feel better about your life. It's just things, life works so much better when you do it God's way. That's what it comes down to, really. Now, I'm not saying that if you've got some rebellious or prodigal kids that you start tithing and giving, God will move on the hearts of your prodigal children, draw them unto him. But you know what? I'm not saying he won't either. I'm just saying when you obey God, God comes through. Always. Always. And I know our life is so much better when we started trusting him in this area.
Was it easy? Heck no! It wasn't. And you know what? Sometimes it's still not. In fact, it's probably one of the most difficult and challenging things, things that I've ever done. Not only that, sometimes it's still hard. But I think we're, we're kind of, and if you do this long enough, you'll get to this place. You're kind of at the place where you're afraid not to tithe. You know, really. You, you kind of get to that place where, no, I, I, even though, you know, we've got this extra, you know, we've got the orthodontics bill, you know, we've got, you know, got to get a new washer or dryer or something. What are you going to do at that point? God said, test me. Test me and see. If I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out this blessing. Now, one last thing. If this tithe, this 10% is a deal breaker for you, then I want you to try this. And I'll be honest, a lot of preachers would cringe. A lot of preachers would never say this. Okay? But if this is a deal breaker for you, to say, Pastor, I just can't do that. I just, I just cannot do that. Let, let me let me tell you this. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Move beyond that dropping a 20 in the offering box or whatever occasionally. Learn to become a percentage giver. Start somewhere. Five, eight percent, I don't care. God, I'll tell you what God God says ten. Right? God says, not only that, I don't have this in my notes, but do you know, this is interesting, there's a place in the, I think it's uh, Exodus or Leviticus that talks about this. Do you know that if you want to redeem your, it says, if you want to redeem your tithe, which means you want to hold it back, say, well, I can't afford it this week, so I'll, I'll double up next week. That's fine, that's fine, you can do that. But do you know what, what God, you know what kind of interest God charges? He, he does, I, I, I ain't lying, this is in the Bible, you can't make this stuff up. God says, if anyone wishes to redeem him his tithe, that's fine, but let him add to therefore one-fifth thereof. How much is one-fifth? Twenty percent! Whoa! Are you sure it's not God-Father instead of Father-God? Seriously! If you want to hold back part of it, that's fine. God says you can do that. But when you come to make it up, you got to add twenty percent to it. Learn to start somewhere. God, God says 10%. Okay? If you're not there yet, start somewhere. And I believe God will honor that. But you've got to start somewhere. Zechariah 4.10 Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now, you know, this is a preacher up here talking. And, and I, and I, I'm always uncomfortable talking about money. Uh, I probably shouldn't be because it's in the, what I, what I'm saying is in the Bible, but at the same time, I get it. And it's kind of a, you know, this is my livelihood. So, you, you know, people might think, oh, yeah, you know, he's up there because, you know, this is how he gets paid. No. So, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted you to hear this from, from someone else, uh, who's kind of outside that realm and really has no vested interest in terms of the income of the church. And so, uh, I asked Kyle and Lauren if they would uh, just share a little bit about their journey and how uh, they tested God and how God has blessed them. Good morning. 
Test, test. Oh, there we go. Uh, so, uh, just to introduce myself, um, I'm Kyle Wright and I am a school teacher, uh, social studies. And, uh, my wife Lauren is a stay at home mom, has been, uh, since Nellie was born about 14 months ago. She works part time as a pharmacy tech at Price Shopper Pharmacy in Olathe. My first thoughts of tithing when I was growing up was you just give when you had extra money. There was no set amount, but when you had something extra, you would give it to the church. And I grew up in home, probably not surprising, where tithing was expected. And so I was taught at a young age that when you earn money, you give 10% back to the church. Okay. <clears throat> the first few years of our marriage, we didn't really agree on how much to give an offering. Obviously, I was raised differently. So um, because my mindset was one of scarcity, and we thought we didn't have enough money to give. I can definitely be a cheapskate at times, and I've let money shamefully come cause relational tension between myself and friends and, and family members. I remember one time where my brother-in-law, Lauren's brother Dan, was getting married, and I was in the wedding, so I was supposed to go to men's warehouse and get this suit. And I thought I had a similar suit at home, so I'm asking them, hey, can I just wear the suit at home? You know, like, that men's warehouse, like, that costs a lot of money to wear the, the suit. And, you know, when they said, no, we want you to wear the men's warehouse suit, like, I got upset about it. And this became an issue in the wedding planning, so much so that, you know, literally money is causing this relational friction between family members. And, you know, I, I kind of caught myself, like, I'm letting money Money, a relatively small amount of money. I'm putting money over people. And I, it just like didn't feel right in my gut. And I was like, I got to get to a better place because putting money over people like this, it's, it can't be, you know, healthy. Okay. The turning point for us or specifically me was when we completely surrendered to God and put him first in our finances. It really felt hard taking the step of obedience and giving an extra hundred to truly tithe a hundred, sorry, truly tithe 10%. But at the end of the month, we always had a surplus. Clarity came when I discovered God wasn't after our money as I had always thought. He was after our hearts, specifically my heart. Um, uh, he doesn't need our money, actually. He just wants our hearts. Uh, so stepping out on faith and trusting God completely in our finances has led to us being more content. Like That's the best thing. We found true contentment in our stuff, our house, our belongings, um, you know, the, the, the things we desire, it's brought contentment. And we've also been able to be generous towards causes that we support and, and things we want uh, to give to. If you would have told me a few years ago that like you've, you know, we were able to be generous and, and, and give to these causes, like I, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way we, we could do that, but, but we've been able uh, to do it. Um, we started truly giving our first 10% of our income back to God when our debt was the highest. And ballpark figure, we don't agree on this. I think it's higher. But we we said around $75,000 is probably around our debt. And this summer, in just a couple months, we're going to be 100% debt-free. Um, and Well, besides our mortgage, yeah, uh, everything else. Um, and, um, yeah, so, I mean, like, that's, that's just, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge blessing. What I would say to someone who hasn't started trying, tithing is to just try it. I know it's scary and hard, but God changed my heart and blessed me so much. And I know he wants the same for you too. So take a leap. And I know God's promises never fail and he will provide. You know, they, they made a, uh, and I can't believe I didn't say this, but, um, you know, God had it all in order. But, you know, she said she realized that God wasn't after the money, that he was after their heart. Seems like I read somewhere, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Right? And she's right. It's not about the money. God's not like, show me the money. No. He says, show me your heart. Give me your heart. And he knows. 
He knows that that's the area where we're touched the most. That's the, that's the area that's hardest to let go of and really trust him and walk by faith. Again, that's why that's the only area, it's not a coincidence, that's the only area he says, test me. Just test me and see. What do you got to lose? You know what I've told people before? I said, you know what? God says, test me and see. If you start doing this, and if you go under and have to file bankruptcy, you know what? You can still get out of that because you can write a book. That's, and, and you can title it, How God Failed Me. Right? No, I'm just being facetious there. But uh, I understand that. It, it, this, this is hard. But I'm just telling you, this is how God operates. And we're, we're not robbing him of money, people. We're robbing him of an opportunity to bless us. He really does want to bless Because that's what he does. That's what God does. Do you know that? God's in the blessing business. Doesn't need our money. How ludicrous is that? He's God. So what are we robbing him of? The opportunity to bless us. How many want to get blessed by God? All right, let's pray. Lord, I do. I do pray, Lord, that, uh, again, I, I get it. I understand that this is, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. But somehow, some way, you did it with Kyle and Lauren, you did it with Sue and me, you've done it with many people sitting in here this morning. But give us the faith. And, and, and even if it's not faith, even if, even if it's just a raw, okay, God, I'm going to test you, even if it's just that, that's fine. Because I know that you'll honor your word and you, you will show yourself faithful and true as you open up those windows of heaven and pour out blessings. Again, not just money, not just material things, but just a better life as we learn that this isn't about our money, it's about our heart. Because all along, that's all God wanted, was our heart. So help those here, Father, today, who, who have not learned to walk in obedience to this part of your word. Give them the faith to trust you in this area. And as they do, I do pray that you, you'll honor your word, and I know you will. I know you will. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord.